Is that just women or is that men as well? Yeah, Jimmy, you're not a fan? Is your dad the worst for them? Yeah, I can imagine that. Sometimes I just don't know what happens to Paul when he comes up here. Like, he's such a nice bloke, and then he gets a little microphone in his little tiny hands. <laughs> I think he's auditioning to replace um, Ant in Ant and Doug. Right, so this incredible women series. Adam, um, if you weren't here last week, um, set up the series beautifully. And um, I don't want to repeat and double up on stuff um, and everything he said last week, but we are digging into some really life-changing things here. It's some really incredibly important things. So I do want to recap just a little bit. So first of all, the first thing to remember about this series is that this isn't a woman's issue. It's absolutely not a woman's issue. It is a heart issue. I passionately believe that when God created the world, which we can read about in Genesis 1, he perfectly designed it so that man and woman would be equal. Man and woman equal. And that was the design because that would be how the world would flourish. But then by Genesis 3, we had messed everything up. And what do you know? Standing here in 2018, there is no equality. And we find ourselves dealing with the horrendous consequences of that inequality. Now, Adam shared some stats last week that were really, really frightening and scary. And if you haven't heard the preach, go back and listen online. It's all there for you. Um, but you kind of need to have done that groundwork, need to have listened to that and maybe also the preach that came before it, the Donna Crouch one, to understand why this series is so important. But what I want to do now, because what we can't just keep on doing is having people up here saying how rough a time women have got it in the world. Um, and I don't want it to be like every time we are up here, like a man is having to sit there feeling absolutely terrible about themselves or constantly apologizing. To be honest, when I first heard the Donna Crouch message that we heard two weeks ago, I felt convicted by it that I needed to come before God and sort my heart out and realize, do you know what? I've done wrong because I've accepted less for myself at times in my life. So it's not about just constantly dwelling on how horrendous a state we've got ourselves into. But this morning, what we want to do is move it on, and Ad's going to do the same in the next couple of weeks as well, and start looking at some amazing women in the Bible that maybe we've overlooked. Maybe we haven't heard their stories. Maybe we've kind of been favoured and pushed towards the male-dominated um, stories of like, heroism and incredibleness in the Bible. So this morning and then for the next couple of weeks, we're taking it back to the girls. Is that all right, everyone? Excellent. So first up this morning is Hannah. And you can find her story in the book of Samuel. What do you need to know about her? First of all, you need to know that she was one of two wives two wives, to a guy called Elkanah. The second thing you need to know about her is that she was barren. Basically, she couldn't have children. You also need to know that the second wife in the story was called Penina. Terrible name. And that's not catching on anytime soon, is it, for kids nowadays? I'm having twins. One of them is Penina. Yeah, right. The other wife, Penina, she had a ton of kids. She had no problem popping them out um, like it was just her favorite thing to do. And she used to love to rub it in Hannah's face. But the last thing you need to know about Hannah, and we're going to go into all of this, is that she was the favorite wife of Elkanah. Um, and it says in the Bible that he loved her very much. So I'm going to pick up her story in 1 Samuel from verse 7. Um, and this is when Penina has been cruel to Hannah, um, rubbing it in her face at her infertility. So it says this in verse 7. 
It happened year after year. As often as she, Hannah, went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, Penina. So she wept, Hannah, and she wouldn't eat anything. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So the first thing that we want to delve into this morning morning, is that Hannah is utterly heartbroken by not being able to have children. As a woman in those days, your sole purpose in life was to have children. In fact, it wasn't even just about having children. Your sole purpose in life was to create men. You were a baby boy making machine. And if you couldn't do that, you were utterly looked down on in society. It wouldn't just be that you were looked down on and sort of glanced over a little bit, but you would actually be mocked for the fact that you couldn't have children. You'd be considered a lesser citizen, like women already were second-class citizens in those days in biblical times, but it would have been that you would be the lower of the, the low, beneath dogs, beneath pets, all the rest of it. You'd be, what is the matter with you? Your sole purpose in life as a girl is to have children. If you can't do that, why are you here? So Hannah would have been completely ashamed about being barren. She went as far as being so overwhelmed by it that she was refusing to eat and drink and she would just weep all the time. For Hannah, not being able to give her husband a child was an overwhelming issue. It defined her, it consumed her, and it tore her apart. Can you resonate with that feeling at all this morning? I don't mean literally being barren. I mean just having something in your life that's overwhelming, something that consumes you, something that you can't shake, something that you've carried that you maybe are ashamed of or maybe something that's happened to you that you just can't shake off you. You think about it all the time. It's the first thing you think about in the morning. It's the last thing you think about at night. This is just kind of a side issue, but I really felt when I was preparing this message um, that what I love at the start of this passage is that Hannah, despite the thing that she hates the most about herself, the fact that she can't give her husband children, her husband makes such a big deal of saying, but I love you. It says that he loved her so much and he loved her more than his other wife. Elkanah, the husband, took the worst thing in Hannah's life and loved her in spite of it. And to me, it was just such a huge and obvious comparison to our lives and what we're ashamed of and where we've messed up and our failures and our mistakes and how Jesus thinks about us. Make no mistake, Hannah being barren would have had a mark and a tarnish on Elkanah's um, reputation in the community as well. The fact that he had a wife that wouldn't um, bear children would have been difficult for him. People would have looked down on him as well, but he loved her. He took her biggest shame, her biggest heartache, and loved her through it. And I just felt like for somebody this morning, just as a side issue before I get going properly into it, that somebody here needs to know that Jesus feels the exact same way about them this morning. That he loves you in spite of everything. That nothing can stop him from loving you. And even if society says that you are not good enough, and society says that you are not purposeful, or you've messed up, or you've gone too far, Jesus says he loves you more than you can imagine and you were worth dying for. So someone this morning needs to hear that this morning. And if that is you and you know I'm talking to you, then get alongside someone this morning and talk to somebody, get some prayer because you cannot leave this place without making sure that that knowledge connects from your head to your heart and that will make a massive difference to the rest of your life. So back to Hannah. She is one of two wives. 
First of all, that doesn't sound good to me. Can you imagine being one of two wives? Like Adam, my husband, bless him, he can't handle me, let alone chucking another woman into the equation. Just the thought of being in a house and having to share a home with another wife, weird. Share a bathroom, share a kitchen with another woman in a house. Like to me, thank God some things have changed since biblical times. I just... I just don't think you guys could do it. Like, you might think, oh, two wives, that sounds amazing. If you ever thought that, you are not married. You ain't been there yet. And if it wasn't bad enough being one of two wives, Rochi's looking at me like, "Mm, no, I can handle it. (laughs) Mate, no, you of all could not handle that. The worst thing about Hannah being one of two wives was that the other wife, Penina, was just horrendous to her, just one of the the worst women. She would mock her. She would taunt her. She would rub her up the wrong way. This had been going on for years and years and years. Penina just being like, you are rubbish. You can't give him kids. I've given him tons. It doesn't say in the Bible how many kids Penina was popping out every Tuesday, but it says that she was doing it all the time. She had loads of them. And then there's Hannah with none, and that's all she wants to do. She would take the one thing that Hannah was most ashamed of and just rub it in her face. And obviously, this makes Hannah miserable. You might be at this stage thinking, how is this one of the incredible women in the Bible? But don't worry, I'm going to get there. It's a good like homecoming, so just hang in with me. But Hannah is miserable at this point in her life. She just cries and cries and cries. She carries it around with her. She can't shake it. She doesn't hide it. She is just consumed by the fact that she's being mocked, taunted, and she can't do anything about it. She probably agrees with it within herself. What is the point of me? I am miserable. I have realized in my life that quite often when I'm miserable or I'm struggling with something, there will always be a little voice of Penina that will join in and try and keep me down. Anybody else had that before? There will always be somebody that wants to join in and go, yeah, yeah, that is really bad. That is really tough. I think you should give up. It might be an actual person. It might just be a little doubt in your mind. But the phrase, misery loves company, it is true. These phrases hang around for long enough because there is some wisdom and some sense in them. When I go a little bit negative, when I go on a rant, when I want to have an absolute whinge about something, when I'm feeling down, I know there are people that will take that opportunity to try and keep me down. That people that exasperate the problem, people that keep on talking about it to me until the issue is far bigger than it was when it started. We just can't afford to have that happen in our lives. We have precious little time on this earth anyway without being surrounded by people that want to keep us down, keep us negative. Because when you feel like you're being miserable at something, when you're a failure, you need other people around you who are going to be the people that pick you back up. You need people around you who are going to say, absolutely not, you are not giving into this. You are not staying in this negative mindset. You need people that are going to get alongside you and say, do you know what? I know you are struggling right now, but I've been there before and I know how to get out of this one. So I'm going to pick you back up and I'm going to tell you to keep going and not to give up. Um, When I was going through the kind of like lower times in my life last year with the miscarriages and everything, I had people when I was feeling just really overwhelmed and consumed by it all. 
because it was obviously difficult. I had people around me who would say things like, do you know what? I think maybe you're just not meant to be a mum. I think maybe it's just time that you took a break, that you, you said no to this. I had people just after the first miscarriage say that, do you know what? It's, maybe it's not for you. Maybe you should just start thinking about adoption right, right now rather than giving it a couple more goes. I had people tell me, I love opinionated Christians. I'm not, obviously not one of them. But I have people telling me that IVF's ungodly, that you can't go down that route. You can't do that to yourself. I have people get alongside me and say, do you know what? Maybe you're just not meant to be parents, you and Ad. Maybe you're just not meant to go that way. But then I had absolute cheerleaders in my corner who even when my stomach was bruised from injections and my mood swings were going through the roof, they would say, keep going, keep going. You are so close. You're going to have a baby and it's going to be amazing. And I stand here today with not one, but two little tiny humans growing inside of me. That's why I'm this size, sorry. <laughs> Literally, it's only going to get worse. That's all I keep thinking. 24 weeks and it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but it's because of those people that stood alongside me, not just me, but Adam as well, those people who stood alongside and wouldn't let me give up when I wanted to, wouldn't let me give in to the misery, wouldn't let me just sit there and stuff my face with chocolate and say, do you know what, forget it, it's all too hard. That's one of the reasons I absolutely love this church. One of the reasons I love the people that are in this church, the friends that we have, the community that we have around us here, because there are people here who absolutely live by that rule, that they just will not let people give up on themselves. They will keep on reminding you of the best version of yourself when you are being the worst version of yourself. And that just is enough for me to stay here forevermore. The other thing about Hannah is that there's this part of her that she, she really rises to the occasion because she is heartbroken and she's got this little voice of doubt and this Panaya woman constantly having it go at her, reminding her of the worst about her. And she is being miserable and she is becoming more and more bitter by the day. But what I love about her and the thing that I've been digging into her this week and just been able to get alongside is that she is feeling all of those things and she is admitting that she's having a really hard time, but she takes it all to God. She takes it all to God. We can read this little bit from verse 9. It says, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she, Hannah, was greatly distressed, praying to God and weeping bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord, O God, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget me your, and give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. This is a woman that's decided she's not giving up. And what I love about her is that she's just real about it. She doesn't try to put on a face. She doesn't try and put on a front. She's not turning up to, I mean, back in those days it was a temple, but she's not turning up to church as it was for us today and just pretending that she's got everything figured out, pretending that she's fine, pretending, yeah, yeah, I'm barren, I'm miserable, and I'm actually crying everywhere I go, but here I am on a Sunday morning and I'm pretending that everything's brilliant and I'm going to enjoy Paul's comedy show. She's not doing that. She's wearing her heart on her sleeve and she's turning up at the temple and in front of the priests, the highest people going in her life, she's weeping and praying out loud as a woman, which would have been very controversial in those days, but laying it all out before God and saying, do you know what, God? I really want a kid. That's what I want. That's what I'm here for. And if you give me one, I'm going to give it back to you and he will serve you for the rest of his life. 
Now, verse 12, it says this. Now, it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart and only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. So then Eli said to her, how long will you make yourself drunk? Put the wine away from you. But Hannah replied, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as worthless woman, for I have spoken until now of my great concern and provocation. I love it. A woman turns up at church and dares to be real, dares to be honest with her, and it's assumed she's drunk. There may have been a few times in some of the ladies' lives here where we've had a little bender on a Saturday night, turned up here a little bit worse for wear. Like, that, that, you know, that's happened. We're going to be honest about that. Jesus loves us. He died for all sins. It's all good. But the fact that a woman is turning up at a temple and pouring out her heart to God, the priest just assumes, oh, you sad, oppressed woman, you must have been at the wine this morning. Makes me mad. Makes my blood boil. And she turns to him and she's like, no, you don't get it. I'm not drunk. I'm not like drowning my sorrows in anything. I'm here and I'm pouring out my heart to God. I'm telling him what's going on. I'm being the real, most real version of myself. She's just out there in her devotion to God. And I think probably a pioneer, because people were probably used in that time of um, day of women turning up and just being quiet and not saying anything and just falling in line and letting their husbands do um, and lead the family. And they would just stand there and just kind of be in the background. Whereas here's this woman and she's like, no, I'm laying it all out there. It really reminds me of the uh, passage in Acts when the Holy Spirit comes down on the, uh, on the Holy Church. I'm um, sorry. A Holy Spirit comes down in the early church and all the people around them assume that they're all drunk as well because they suddenly start going mad and speaking in tongues and praising and are just full of joy and incredible things are happening. People passing by, oh gosh, yeah, they've had a few. Reminds me of the same thing. It is the same thing. Here's a woman not shying away, not ignoring her pain, but being persistent with God. This is probably one of the most applicable parts of the Bible because life doesn't always go to plan. Signing up to Jesus and saying, yes, you are my saviour, I love you, thank you for dying for me, does not mean that life will always be an easy ride. But does that mean you should walk away when it gets tough? Does that mean, even worse, that you should just pretend everything's fine when it's clearly not? Absolutely not. Be more Hannah. Own it. Refuse to stop talking to God about it. Not talking to people that are going to bring you down. Not talking to people that are going to jump on the bandwagon and go, oh gosh, yeah, let's all have a bit of a whinge and a moan together. Take it to God. He can handle it. You are not meant to do this on your own. Tell him about your pain. Tell him about your anxiety. Tell him about your hurt. Tell him about your fears. Tell him about your doubt. We all do it. We all have those moments. Don't hide it away. Take it to God. He can handle it. Because that is what prayer absolutely should be. It's not a show. It's not how many long words can I get into a prayer. It's not how many people can I impress with what I'm saying. It's raw, honest emotion. Talking to your God like a dad that, dad that he is to us. And saying, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I'm at. I know you've got more for me. So I'm just going to keep trusting you. But I've got to tell you where my heart is at. Be more like Hannah. What happens next is amazing. In verse 17, it says this. Then Eli answered, obviously, 
accepting the fact that maybe she's not drunk. Good old Eli. Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She obviously asked for a son. Verse 18, she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away, and she ate for the first time in ages, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to the house. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked of him of the Lord. She never gave up and God answers her prayer. What a story of perseverance. If you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, Jem, like, lead a Bible story on some amazing perseverance stories in the Bible, I would have thought of a ton of man ones. I would have been like, oh, Job, yeah, you know, I mean, miserable guy, but you stuck in there with the rest of him. Like, and obviously he had a reason to be miserable. It was pretty awful what happened to him. But Job, you know, Jonah hanging around the world. I would have thought of loads of guys and thought, yeah, those are all the stories of perseverance. I wouldn't have thought of Hannah, but here she is, her little story, tucked away in 1 Samuel, only a handful, literally, that 20 verses dedicated to her. And she's probably one of the most persevering people of God there is. What a woman. You can imagine her sat there with her newborn baby, just cuddling him, singing to him, getting lost in the moment. And she must have just kept thinking, God heard me. He heard me. God hears me. I love that. I absolutely love that because there was no moment like where she probably thought, you know, oh gosh, I've been telling this prayer to God and telling him how much I want a kid for so many years now. Why was that day any different to all the others that she was up in the temple weeping and crying and not eating? Why was it at that moment God decided to do a miracle in her life and change something? Why was it that moment? She probably had so many questions, but none of them mattered Because she was just like, God does hear me. I've taken my pain to him. I've taken my hurt and my frustration and my misery. And he wasn't just sat there, some distant, archaic, out-of-date God. No, he was right there with her, listening. And then he came through for her. That's not even the best bit of the story. You see, there's so much of the Bible, and this is truly terrifying, that is male-dominated translation, which Adam went into last week, that downplays the roles of women. Like, that's scary enough. But what I want to finish with shouldn't be overlooked or spun with a bit of, like, tinge of male dominance. Paul or Al, do you want to come up? You see, Hannah kept praying all that time that God would give her a child, And she said at that time, God, if you give me a child, I will give that child back to you. Basically meaning that she would make sure that that child, whoever he would turn out to be, she would make sure that that child lived a life that was honoring to God. Now, it's amazing because the son that Hannah had, she ended up calling Samuel. And I don't know if you know much about Samuel, probably know way more about him than you do his mother, but Samuel was kind of a big deal in the Old Testament. He was an amazing prophet. He was a man of God. He was very, very much respected. He was one of the greatest prophets. But one of the greatest things he did, and this is probably the story you know about him, is that one day God spoke to him and said that he was going to go and choose the future king of Israel. 
So he went to this house. There's a guy there. He was called Jesse. Then he walks into Jesse's house and he says, I'm here to pick the future king of Israel. So bring out your sons. Now Jesse had seven sons and he brings out the sons before Samuel. And Samuel's kind of going through the lineup and all the sons that, that Jesse brings out, they're kind of like big, strapping, great, like kind of Anthony Joshua type men. And he brings them out, and, Jeff, and Samuel's looking at them, and he's like kind of going through them, and he's like, yeah, no, it's not that one, it's not that one, no, 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 goes through the line, and he's like, no, the future king of Israel isn't here. And he's confused, he's like, but I swear this is where God brought me to, to choose the king of Israel, so you must have another son. And Jesse's like, well, there is one more guy <laughs> that's my son, but he's called David and he's tiny and he's a bit scrawny and he's just sat out in the in the fields he hangs out with the sheep all day long like these guys like they're gonna be kings these guys these sons in front of you don't worry about don't worry about David the little shepherd boy and Samuel's like absolutely not I need to meet this David I've got to see him bring him in front of me so then they run out and they get David and David's this little tiny scrawny shepherd boy and they put him before the great prophet Samuel And Samuel is like, this is the future king of Israel. And if you know anything about your future history, no one can deny that David grows up to become a great king. He makes a lot of mistakes along the way. We're not going to gloss over that um, and put any male dominance on that a little bit of the Bible. But he does grow up to become the future king of Israel. And then one of the most amazing things about David, and this is the reason we talk about David a lot in church, is because David started the bloodline that then Jesus would eventually come from. Our saviour, our king, Jesus, comes from. And you hear this praise for David a lot. Even at the start of Matthew in the New Testament, it starts off by saying, this is where it happened. It kicks off with David and it goes through all the lineage of everybody that was born and married and all the rest of it. And then eventually you get to Jesus and all the praise goes back to him. And I totally agree with that. But all I don't want to do is just stop with David. We're cutting people short. We're not giving people the credit where the credit is due to them. Because this morning, we can absolutely understand that we only had a saviour. We only got Jesus because of David, King David. I totally agree that. But do you know what? We never got David if it wasn't for Samuel. And Samuel doesn't get much praise there. But do you know what? We never would have got Samuel if there wasn't a woman named Hannah who wouldn't stop praying for a son. Credit where credit is due. We wouldn't have got Jesus if it wasn't for a woman consumed by her misery, just being as honest and real as she could possibly be, pouring out her heart to God every day, saying, give me a son. And if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. A man alive did she keep her promise. And we end up with Jesus. Amazing. Hannah's story teaches us so much. She is arguably one of the most honest people in the Bible. She shows us that perseverance in prayer works. It's not something that's a gimmick or a fad that maybe you should try. It actually works. She went on to raise the man who would pick the future king that would lead us to our king. She was overlooked. She was mocked. She was miserable. And yet such greatness came from her. An incredible woman of the Bible.